There is no need to touch the projects that are doing well. You need to allocate your time to the problem projects. The report should include changes in delivery date, actual versus budgeted change orders, and project scope changes. This would allow you to allocate meeting time to problem bonds versus arbitrarily reviewing each bond twice a year. The meeting materials show the earthquake and emergency response bond expenditure audit as completed. 104 million of the emergency response water system expenditures were not audited at the request of DPW. When do you plan to audit the remaining 25% of the bond expenditures? The earthquake safety and road repaving bond expenditures audits identified a fundamental problem with DPW architecture and engineering costs charged to general bond obligations. I suggest that you bring in an independent outside auditor to perform a detailed review of this area. Our priority at this time should be to drill down into problem areas versus additional bond audits. Oversight over the City Services Auditor. Your role is to ensure the City Services Auditor performs the mandated tasks in Appendix F of the City Charter. I recommend that you review the CSA's work plan for next year, early in the fiscal year, to ensure the work plan includes mandated work. If you're not willing to do this, you are negligent in overseeing the CSA. At the middle and the end of each year, I'd ask the CSA to submit a written list of the mandated tasks and if the tasks have been completed. I would file the year-end CSA report with the annual C. Gobach report. Thank you. Is there additional public comment? Okay, if not, we'll go to the next item. Item two, opportunity for the committee members to comment on or act regarding the fiscal year 2017-2018 draft work plan. Good afternoon. Good I guess I could use that. Good afternoon, committee members. Ben Rosenfield, city controller. Uh, we're here today to follow up on the discussion we started last month regarding your work plan for the year ahead. Um, just as a reminder, last time we walked through the different code requirements that govern the activities of the committee and create different assignments of work to you. Um, we reviewed a, a handful of different possibilities for different ways you have historically met those requirements or could uh, going forward. What we're doing here today or what we were hoping for as staff was um, uh, some additional feedback on some of the items. We've started the presentation with just a summarization of what we think we heard as consensus from the committee, and then we had a couple of open items to talk through where we could use additional direction. Um, I think our hope from today would be to get clear direction from the committee in a way that we could bring this back as a formal action item at your next meeting. So just to recap what we what we heard last time, and you should uh, let us know if you disagree with it, but um, we heard that the committee uh, intends to continue to meet its core committee requirements through six regularly scheduled meetings during the year ahead. 
um, that for the majority of bonds that, that, would, that are the most active, that would mean two presentations, approximately two, six months apart. Um, it was a recommendation from, I believe, committee member Chu, uh, that for those bonds that are really, have become, are nearing completion or where there's not a lot of activity, that moving to a once a year update uh, would make sense. That makes sense to us as well. Um, so we've suggested that the 2008 um, SFGH bond, which is nearing closeout, and the 2000 Parks bond both kind of fit that criteria, and we could schedule those for a single hearing. But that would meet your public hearing and um, public review requirements as a committee. Second, um, there seems to be a lot of interest on the committee enhancing public access and exposure to the work that you're doing here, uh, given that that's one of your responsibilities. Um, your work plan for next year already includes uh, televising these meetings to increase public access to them. Um, that will enable us to provide digital archives of meetings going forward online, as opposed to kind of uh, rote paper minutes. You'll actually have video archiving available as a service going forward. Um, uh, we had suggested and we believe we heard concurrence from the committee that refreshing the committee's website makes sense. It's been a number of years. It's a little it's a little um, dated, doesn't have links to pertinent information, and there were some other suggestions from different committee members about website design. Um, and then lastly, that it made sense to standardize the bond reporting template for all departments. Um, Mr. Carlson. I, just, it would, I think I'd clarify if we, if we made uh, uh, for committee uh, meeting uh, uh, committee meetings standardize the bond reporting for the committee for the committee meetings. So that's not necessarily the. I was confused here if we were talking about quarterly reports or the uh, reports given at the committee meetings. So I think just adding, because I think you're talking about the template for the committee meetings. The DPW template that you've worked on for right. the Easter bonds and street bonds here. Right. For the for this committee meeting present, yeah. Okay. That's helpful. Um, we believe we heard consensus the committee would uh, report to the Board of Supervisors and Mayors on your activities and findings through an annual report, which has been a long-standing practice for the committee, um, and that it uh, would make sense to continue to append the annual report that you have requested the city services auditor perform for you that provides a high-level review of all GEO bonds in the city. We produce that annually. Uh, that'll be ready for your next meeting uh, in July, we believe. Um, Can I ask for clarification? So yeah, we please. already have an annual report that we report to the mayor and the board of supervisors. So um, we discuss and agree to um, keep the report, but perhaps make it more robust by um, including details um, in, in, in an addendum. This was the, a conversation that the committee had probably about two years ago now, that formerly the committee produced an annual report that was entirely the committee's own product. At that time, the committee suggested that it would be helpful to request that the city services auditor also prepare a scan as an annual report of all GEO bonds as an, that would be attached as an uh, ad addendum to GoBox report. And so that's what we're suggesting here is maintaining that practice. Thank you. Just to clarify, that also includes the uh, annual review of the audits, not just the bonds, correct? Well, we obviously we're not self-assessing our own no, but, kind of, but, but, but the, the annual report from Gobach, yes, historically has included um, a report from the liaisons in that annual report regarding their observations regarding both the city services auditor function and the whistleblower function. Thank you. 
Um, and then lastly, uh, we heard a desire to complete a high-level comparative review of this committee's practices versus others in the city that are engaged in similar work. Um, the MTA maintains a revenue bond oversight committee. The PUC has a revenue bond oversight committee. The community college has a geo bond oversight committee, as does the school district. And so a bit of a, a high-level review of comparative practices. So if there's concurrence with that, the kind of heart of the work plan, um, and we heard, heard you correctly, I think that leaves open a couple of questions for us, um, that, on, which we have outlined on subsequent slides. Um, the first relates to kind of the liaison approach and how you want to undertake that as a committee. The second relates to the uh, frequency of the bond expenditure audits, so that will be the second topic. And the last relates to the kind of other projects as desired, more open-ended project list. So I was going to walk through those one by one. You'd asked us to present a little bit more of op and kind of options for you today or to come back with some more detail on these. So that's what we have. Um, related to how you want to develop um, needed specialization as a committee as it relates to both the bonds and the program activities that you're responsible for overseeing, um, the current practice is most similar to number one here, which is uh, maintaining the practice of having two assigned liaisons from each uh, from the committee to each of the bond programs or to the city services auditor or whistleblower programs. Those individuals from the committee would be responsible for meeting quarterly, uh, receiving deeper updates, developing specialization, and then reporting back to the committee. Um, the change in practice which we've talked about um, and talked about last time is, and really which creates an, an administrative challenge here is that the Brown Act does require you to, to work independently of each other. So if you embrace this approach, um, liaisons will have to meet individually with uh, bond program managers and program staff and then report back together, but independently at the committee. Yeah, I, again, apologize for not being here at the last meeting, but, uh, you know, my practice has been to meet as a liaison with the programs prior to their presentation. So it was twice a year, not quarterly. So that would be, a, I think, a big change. Okay. And secondly, uh, in the past, uh, I have met with the other li liaison together, and it didn't. It was not a problem back then. So, is there any chance you you could meet with the program with the other liaison, but still maintain your independence? No, just being in the same room compromises yeah. that. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the, I mean, at that point, if you're in the same room at the same time, it's effectively a meeting. I mean, you can interact with each other. I mean, it's it's uh, it, it 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 would not pass the Brown Act. And the fundamental the fundamental not to uh, not to rehash what we discussed at the last meeting, but the fundamental change here is our office had previously said that that arrangement was fine under the Brown Act. Committee member raised an interesting question. We reviewed it and we've changed our advice. So that's why the practice. Is so changing. what this means is that bond programs could have to meet eight times, um, I mean quarterly, and you know four times a year, twice with each liaison. Eight, I mean that puts quite a significant more burden I would think on the program people, or it's possible I guess liaisons could decide to div divvy it up and 
you meet one time and I meet, there's no requirement that. The heart of the bullet point here really relates to not the quarterly. If that, if that feels like it's not codifying current practice for the committee, we should change that word. Um, you're correct though that kind of, if you take this approach um, with the, the, the new advice from the city attorney's office, it means, it means um, the bond program staff from departments will be engaging in two meetings rather than, rather than one. That's a, that is somewhat of an administrative uh, burden for department staff, but I actually think it's less administratively burdensome than anything else on this page. And so um, that really was at the heart of our well, conversation my, last I time. would prefer to just meet prior to their presentation twice a year okay. rather than quarterly, but I'm open. I mean, so, so these are the three options that we have. Right. Um, so we're going to look at and try and pick one. But I think there's a nuance of this that um, that you should probably explain. Um, the reason that the, the Brown Act is, is invoked is because the liaisons are, tell me if I'm wrong, are assigned in this body. And so you'll see the third one is trying to sort of, well, I mean, you can explain the nuance better. Ken, oh, could you clarify that again for myself as well as for um, uh, for Mr. Carlson, who wasn't here? The, the 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 objection is in the label liaison. No. Um, we we could uh, I guess we could talk about uh, not to jump to another option. In lieu of being called liaisons. Um, what if we call these specialized um, members or designated members um, a subcommittee member? Is the objection in the word liaison, so two liaisons that are being, if you will, um, assigned by this committee cannot be meeting together? The objection is not to the word. It's to the act that well, let me take a step back. So previously our advice had been that because the two liaisons were not a quorum of any policy body, there was no need to have notice requirements to have an agenda posted, all the rigmarole that goes with a full meeting. Um, uh. Upon further review, the better interpretation of, of the Brown Act and the Sunshine Ordinance is that when this committee appoints two liaisons to serve with a single bond program, those two liaisons form their own policy body. And that policy body is subject to the Brown Act and the Sunshine Ordinance. So the label, we could call them, you know, Designees, it really wouldn't make a difference. It's the act, the substantive act that this committee makes. So the objection is that these two individuals are assigned or linked to a bond. So that makes them 100% um, or um, susceptible to policy making. They're, they're linked by, this, by action of this committee to a bond. A, a bond. That makes them a policy body. Okay, I, I understand that now, and then if we did that, then you'd have to notice the meeting, open it up to public, and... Yes, exactly. And this is... So what if, what if we went to just one liaison per bond program? Then we wouldn't... We would be fine, right? I mean, is there, is there an overarching reason why we need two for each bond? Why, why can't we just go back and, and... And really, it looks like there's eight or nine different bond programs. I mean, you know, you can have one, three different people. Rec Park has three, three, you know, you can divide it up into three. I, 
you might be able to cover all the bond programs with each of us just taking one bond. Let's just perhaps follow yeah. through with that thought for a moment. If, um, if there were just one liaison, and Robert is the liaison to Benisa, and then he arranges the meeting with staff, mm -hmm. And if I were a regular member that's not a liaison and I have expressed I have expressed an interest, is there any prohibition in the Brown Act for me to join that meeting in my capacity as another member because I have a sincere interest, for example? There there, there is no there there is no prohibition under the Brown Act to doing that. I would caution, however, that if the same two committee members keep showing up to these meetings over the course of an extended period of time, it begins to look less like one person is a liaison and another person just has an interest, and there are two liaisons. So I would just caution you. Well, the liaison meetings, at least, you know, the ones that I, I've attended, either with the bond program or with the, the non-bond program, these are conducted really as um, business meetings where the committee members will pose questions, staff will answer questions or get additional information. So they're conducted as a business meeting for informational purposes. And as far as I'm concerned, um, neither side has ever kept uh, minutes of these meetings. So who's to follow up or, or actually create a trail that if I'm the second interested member on ESER program that I regularly join Mr. Carlson because I have an interest. If I, if I may make a comment, I think that you're on to the right direction. I agree with where you're going. The one point that I would emphasize is that if you designated one person as the facilitator for that bond, just, we'll just throw out the name facilitator for ease here, and they let other committee members know when the meeting was going to take place and people could say that, yes, I'm, I plan on showing up or I don't, then you would know whether you had a majority of the entire GOBAC and that would be wrong. Mm -hmm. So you would want it to be uh, less than the majority so you never got to the Brown Act problem. But the advantage of throwing it open through a facilitator is that I've found that I learn from other people's questions. And if I'm just sitting there by myself with the program people, I may not think of some of the questions that would be helpful to know. Uh, and so I, I appreciate the opportunity to have, like on the housing bond, people who are more expert on construction issues that may take place uh, and that they may choose to come and that would be very helpful. So I, I think you can have a, uh, a, a merger of the various approaches here using your framework of a single facilitator and then allowing other committee members to, in advance, notify that they would like to attend and that way we don't run into a Brown Act, but we also receive the benefit of each other's thoughts. And I believe we, we've had precedents in uh, a couple occasions uh, when this, the safety building was up and running. I think that Mr. Carlson was the liaison, but there was a site visit where other members of the committee um, were invited to join the tour, for example. Um, and that was a site visit, and I did join. So, 
Kevin, do you have any? Well, I have a couple of thoughts. First of all, based on the discussion, <clears throat> currently there are two assigned, and we say that it, that what the Brown Act requires is that the discussion uh, be open to the public and transparent. Uh, if it rises to a level, and the current interpretation by the city attorney's office is that two together that are assigned to specific bonds triggers that threshold for transparency and, and public noticing and what have you. Um, so we can stay with two assigned. You have to go separately. Uh, you can stay with, you can go to one assigned uh, and then sort of ad hoc based on a level of interest by other uh, committee members. And I even think that, this is what I was thinking when you uh, asked, two assigned doesn't prohibit anyone else from the committee attending. I mean, there, there's no bar on anyone attending any of the bond staff meetings uh, for information. But three does trigger, no, more than three? More than Under one. the old interpretation, it was more than three or three? So, so it's a quorum. So, oh. but, the, but again, right. what you said was exactly right. right. Two, could, two could show up, three could show up, but we can't have, if we have two people, two liaisons who are designated by the committee, they can't be uh, discussing the work outside of a publicly noticed meeting. Exactly. But yeah, you could have, yeah. we could have up to, what, four? So right? on this committee, yeah. you know, a quorum would be four. Five is a quorum, so we could have four. Oh, five, yeah. So you cannot have five. So we can have two assigned. They, no, is, is so there's a couple moving moving parts. We could have, could have, not advocating. We could have two assigned and additional Committee members have the discretion to attend if they want, up to four, under the current practice uh, of assignment. Well, you could, yeah, but then as a public meeting, you have to go through all the notice. If you have two, five. If you have, if you have two who are, so simultaneously, fine. if there, if you have two who are designated by the committee yeah. to serve, then that's a policy body, and that has to be noticed with a public meeting, regardless of whether, whether you have three or four. If, if, you, if you designate one person to serve as, as a liaison, you can add two, three, four, and it's not a public meeting. If you have two assigned, and they are not meeting simultaneously. Correct. Two assigned, they meet independently of oh. each other. Then and in each one of those have... meetings, you have up to four people. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that would should I, I, uh, unlikely that that, but that would be inside the interpretation of the act. Okay. So, so Ken, if we follow that, <coughs> um, we would be fine if we keep our current two lays on the sign, but the two lays on review meetings are conducted separately. Correct. That would be the only administrative change that may create a burden on staff because they will have to conduct two update meetings with the two liaison separately. And, and I just want to understand if that would be the only change if we can carry through with what would, Kevin. Would the I would just tours also be, have to be conducted at, separately? Let me just, and to follow up on that just to be clear, however, the, the, two, the two liaisons, they could not discuss 
even if they don't meet together, they actually can't discuss their individual meetings outside of a publicly noticed meeting. Just to so be the, the two liaisons, let's say, you know, Brian and I are actually in, when, on, on the MTA, uh, we could meet separately, but in the past, we might discuss on the way out, for example. So if going forward, if Brian and I meet separately with the MTA staff, we need to wait till our next GOBOC meeting Correct. in order to um, exchange our comments and, and views <coughs> relating to the meeting. Exactly. I'm sorry. And then in terms of the requirements um, for the two individuals not meeting with staff, does that also apply to tours of facilities or parks and things like that. So I think that burden creates an even higher bar for staff because I imagine that takes longer time and it's more effort than just having a one-on-one -on -one meeting. I think that's right. Okay. Plus, if it's two liaisons, separate meetings, and the purpose of those meetings are to dig in and get more information and, and then report back to the full, so you double the number of report backs from liaisons at our go, regular GoBot meetings. Because each liaison would report back, so you're doubling, you're doubling the effort on the the department staff, and you're doubling the report back at this commission at our committee meeting. So you double it if you stay as is with two with two liaisons. Yeah, because right now, even though there are two, it's basically one liaison report has been reporting out here. Now you're going to have two separate meetings, so there'll be two separate reports. Yeah, but that goes away no matter what. Goes away? Yeah, the idea that, that you will have two designated assigned to a specific bond and that, uh, and that that report will be provided by one of the two, uh, now, now lands outside the act as interpreted by the city attorney's office. So that aspect isn't going to be there anymore going forward. What I'm what saying is, is if you have the two liaisons, they meet separately with oh. the staff, right? Yes. They're, they're both going to have different uh, things to report out. We don't know. So when we have our regular meeting, both liaisons, each will have to have time to report out what they found at their, their meeting. Correct. And, and, and we don't do that now. There's just one report out. Oh, there, there, there could be two now. There could be, but generally speaking, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. one. I understand how it is, how it is applied. Yeah. And I, I have an open mind. I'm just thinking out loud here if I mean it seems like you know it's a balance between staff time and do we need to do it twice to stay inside the act uh, and that's the upside of doing it twice keeping two assigned uh, doubles the amount of time certainly for staff it may double or extend some of the time at the staff meeting although if you're assigned it doesn't mean you have to weigh in uh, but if you do it may extend the time uh, the other way is uh, you're no longer assigned. Uh, one is, I mean, there are multiple ways. One other way is one is assigned, and then it's kind of an ad hoc, not to exceed four uh, of interested, seated committee members. And I, I, 
Can I offer one just thought as well? If you if you go with the one liaison to each bond assignment, it's worth remembering that you have clusters of bonds as well. So you've got three parks bonds that are each individual ballot measures. You have two Easter bonds, two health bonds, two housing bonds. And you see, so you will still have coverage across bond programs even if you go to one, um, which might be an argument for going to a single liaison for a given bond. The only thing I would say about going to one is it does create some more expectation that a given member is going to be diligent in meeting those requirements. And part of what a two liaison assignment does is it covers you during periods of vacancies or periods where a volunteer commissioner doesn't have time to make a liaison assignment work. Um, and I think it, part of the conversation at the time that two is instituted, but with a different Brown Act interpretation, was that it would provide a, a diversity of opinions back to the committee from different committee members as well. And that was something at the time that the committee was looking for. Uh, thank you for that. I'd, I'd like to um, also add some thoughts relating to the two liaison versus the one liaison. And I'm thinking a little bit more on the administrative side of this committee. Um, first of all, um, these bonds are generally, at least in my current experience, likely to uh, outlive the tenure of each of the committee members because we have a two-term limit. It's a total of four years. So going to a two-bond, in addition to the reasons you cite, um, would tend to ensure that you have some continuity among certain members of this committee. Um, because of the term limits, um, because no one can serve more than four years. I, I would like to have us move forward with a single person and inviting other committee members to participate. I, I, to me, the value of our uh, individual meetings with programs is really aimed at the public, not just our own selves. It's what are, what are we going to learn from that process that's going to best illustrate and illuminate uh, the operation of the bond as it's moving forward. And what questions need to be asked and what questions are being answered and, and what adjustments do we want to suggest or recommend in the process. And I think that requires more than one good head. Uh, thinking about it. That's why I like the idea of people being able to come and participate on a more ad hoc basis because I, I do think that it, it improves the process. And as uh, the controller Ben Rosenfeld just says, uh, if you have related bonds and you have a facilitator from each of the two bonds, they're not part of the same committee, but it gives you an opportunity to do the cross-bond uh, discussion that we've talked about before. So, for example, you have the streets bond and the housing bond. Are they mes meshing up so that the streets are going to go where the housing is and, and all those kinds of issues, which is one of the items that we are talking about later on in this meeting. How do we do better planning on uh, cross-bond coordination? So that's that's that's... That's my preference. Mr. Bush, I think that from if, if I understand um, Ben's suggestion, the invitation for other members to attend a particular meeting 
whether it's one or two liaisons, that option always exists. It's just that we've not really practiced it. It would be more formalized under this system, I think. Because then the facilitator would, would let everyone know this is when the meeting's taking place and, uh, and would you like to attend? And that way you could know in advance whether you're going to break the five-member meeting so that you'd be in a Brown Act situation. Either can work. As the uh, most junior member of the committee and having not participated in one of these meetings yet, um, I had a few questions about the process. Um, in terms of the length of these meetings when we're meeting with staff to go over the bond as a liaison, um, how long are those meetings generally um, in terms of uh, the one-on-ones? Business meeting, generally an hour. An hour or so. so uh, just to double check, but if we did stay with the two liaisons, you could then have staff, instead of doing a one hour time, you book two hours, have one person come in for an hour, they leave, and then they do it with the next person the next hour, and scheduling that, it's really just the tours of facilities that would be much more complicated. Okay. And I think the tours of facilities are more the exception than the rule based on the type of bonds. And for, for single facility bonds, which about half the programs are, the briefing often takes place at the facility, and so you can kind of incorporate it into the briefing. Thank you. Madam Chair, if I might, just to get a sense of where the committee is. Um, And everyone is certainly free to vote whatever way you believe. I'm not strong. I don't have a strong lean one way or the other. But I would move that we, is a motion appropriate? In the event a motion is appropriate, I would move that um, we have one liaison uh, with uh, the ability of additional one assigned liaison to each bond with the additional with the ability of additional committee members uh, to attend briefings Provided. at will. I'll second that. I would just add we would want to I think this is clear to everyone, but we'd want to know ahead of time who's going to show up at each of these briefings just in case we run up to the quorum limit. So it would be ad hoc in the sense that anyone could show up, but we wouldn't want six people to show up at one meeting without knowing that ahead of time. I think, we I, I think that. that administratively, because, you know, sometimes it's not so easy to actually, you know, schedule meetings, update meetings. Um, I think that if we were going to go that route, it would um, we would put it on the responsibility of the liaison to make sure that there's no more than five people who show up at the meeting. And if it's kind of if the last minute Kevin shows up and he's the sixth person, then 
you know, I'll, some I'll have to say, I'm sorry, Kevin, you know, first come, worst first, you cannot attend. So I think that would be kind of an administrative logistic way for that liaison to have that additional responsibility to make sure that we are um, not in, you know, in violation of the Brown Act. We could devise little things like that to make sure oh, without having a whole slew of 25 emails back and forth. Yeah. Taking off my lawyer's hat, and I don't want Maura to get mad at me, but that might be something that we could you put know, the roll through the uh, controller's office. Oh, no, I'm going to put it in the motion. That, that uh, I move that. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> The committee assign uh, one liaison to each bond uh, with the ability of additional committee people, committee members to attend uh, staff reports, uh, staff meetings, and the assigned liaison shall shall notice, uh, I mean, if you're the assigned liaison, do you have to notice the other committee members of, hey, I'm gonna meet with DPW now? I would suggest that maybe if, if I think we understand the direction where you're going, if we wanna to go to a single assigned liaison per program with invitation to other members, we can work on the administrative details of how all this happens. I don't know that you need to decide that on the fly here. I, so maybe your, your initial motion, Commissioner Hughes, was a motion to appoint a single liaison to each of the programs with an invitation more, more broadly going out to committee members um, when that liaison arranges for a briefing. And I think, so that, that was the motion that I heard. I think that motion now need, would need a second and then it would need public comment before the committee could discuss it. I that that is the motion. Mr. Bush seconded, apologies. So public comment would be the, the next item. Okay, public comment. Seeing no public comment, now we can open up to the committee for d discussion. When we say a single liaison per bond program, do we mean bond authorization, specific bond authorization? Yes. Um, I, I'd like to register uh, kind of my thoughts, which I, I stated previously, is that um, going to the one liaison, it has its good points. I'm thinking a little bit more on the entire makeup of our committee and the tenure and the, the turn, the expected, the planned um, departures, if you will. And I, based on the discussions we've had so far, I feel we could stay with the two liaisons as we had before, but addition, additionally institute some additional responsibility to the liaisons to invite and notice each updated, update briefing meeting to invite other members to attend. Well, I think from my uh, earlier question, I think that it seems like continuity is something that we want here, and having the two liaisons 
make sense and there's a reason why we originally had them in place. Um, and so considering having staff book two hours instead of one hour for the business meetings, um, that would only be an additional four hours over the course of a year potentially. So it's not a huge burden on staff, which I definitely want to consider. Um, but at the same time, as I said before, I'm the junior member, so I will defer to the rest of the committee members on their opinions here. Uh, but it just seems like that would be a pretty easy solution to this um, to this problem with having liaison members meeting together. And I should just note as a procedural matter that we need the affirmative vote of five members to pass a motion. If there aren't other committee, committee member comments, I would suggest kind of calling roll on the question and then going from there. Mr. Bush? Yes. Mr. Carlson? Yes. Ms. Shu? Yes. Mr. Hughes? Yes. Ms. McNulty? No. Mr. Tonneson? Yes. There are five yeses and one no. So the motion carries. Um, so moving on to the second of three open items. Um, the second item that we discussed at the last meeting was the frequency of the bond expenditure audits. This is a change uh, that the committee uh, introduced two years ago now, or I guess a year and a half ago now, um, to meet your requirements that you're reviewing bonds to ensure that bond expenditures are in accordance with the voter authorization that no impermissible administrative charges are hit to the bond. So um, what we had recommended was conducting three a year going forward for the next couple of years. Um, and you had some questions about the background for that and what other possibilities look like. I, hopefully this table helps a bit. It shows kind of what the coverage looks like of the current bonds if you continue with a rhythm of three per year. So in the current year we um, have completed three for road repaving, earthquake safety, and general hospital are in the midst of. Um, three, and then three each of the next two years allows you to touch each of the bonds that currently has have bonds that have been issued. Um, and then leaving the 2016 affordable housing bond for the third year along with two slots to be determined given either repeating these or introducing other geo bonds. So that felt like a, a natural rhythm to us, allowing you to touch all active bonds within the next two years. Um, and room in the third year to, to flex as you would wish. Um, and so that was feedback we brought back. You can make other choices, of course, but that was the basis of our staff recommendation. Um, and uh, Mark De La Rosa from our audits team is here if you have other questions on this program or other possibilities. Um, does it seem redundant to use our fifth and sixth slots this fiscal year? for the same team? We have been trying to, the, we've been trying to kind of group them actually. The first team's time through you see that we touched three different unrelated bonds. Looking ahead we think it'll be more efficient for both the auditors and program staff if two bonds are audited at the same time because the same staff will be pulling information from the same systems, providing it to the same auditor, doing the same review. So we'd suggest that it will be less burden on the Parks Department, less burden on the auditors to conduct both in parallel. I, I 
think I would have concerns about that. I mean, I think the reason we're doing these audits is actually to get findings and not just to sort of check them off and do them. Um, and so I think we probably want a broader uh, uh, group than. Oh, than just three in a year. You mean? No. Well, I don't. I don't know about the three, but um, I would. If I would love to move affordable housing up. Um, again, the clean and safe neighborhood parks is essentially the same gang, right? So, like, if is is 2008 going to be see significantly different findings than 2012? If it's not, then. I think if there's desire to move one of these and swap one back or move one up, that would be totally fine. That's kind of the direction we're looking for here. Uh, as a yeah. point of clarification, as I understand what we're reviewing this for is not just the expenditures, but what is in our mantra, something like uh, on time, on budget, and on scope uh, that we're supposed to be looking at with these this? when we evaluate it? Uh, because. Clearly, uh, the starting point ought to be some sort of a, a, a checklist when you look at what the voters passed and said, this is what the voters intended to be done, and it's this amount of money, and it's to be done in this period of time, and it's to, intended to accomplish these purposes, then you start off with that from your, your point of view, uh, and then as you review it, uh, you see if they are on on time and on budget and on scope. Uh, because clearly there are issues that have arisen that the committee has not fully addressed where things drag on for a variety of reasons, but we don't really go into a public explanation of it. This would give us an opportunity to do that in a more robust way. I think the on-scope, on-schedule, on-time review as has been practiced in the past is more a function that that review occurs for you as a committee conducting that review and as liaisons and then our office through our annual geobond review doing that are people on scope schedule budget and then reporting that in the annual geobond report this was a na more narrowly focused audit touch that was um, recommended um, and the committee's adopted to meet a very specific requirement that sits in the administrative code for the committee and actually for the city services auditor as well, that bond proceeds shall only be spent for purposes specifically authorized by the voters and not for administrative salaries. So in order to, to kind of meet, meet that requirement, which is beyond your ability to review as committee members, these are transaction audits. So they're getting in and pulling transactions out of the financial system and review them. So that's how these have been envisioned, slightly different scopes than the scope schedule budget reviews that the committee is doing more broadly. I appreciate that. Uh, but we do see that some funds are spent on what are called soft costs that actually are billed back to city departments mm -hmm. and are paying for administrative costs of those departments and not for the administrative costs for the bond. And that's one of the findings of the Cummings. That, that's not one of the findings of the Cummings audit. The findings, there are two kinds of administrative costs. There's the, there are those administrative costs that are permissible under the bond measure and associated with right. the implementation of the bond. Um, those are permissible. Um, that's part of what Cummings is reviewing, is not just hard costs, but soft costs. Are they permissible uses of bond proceeds? Um, if there are cases where there are administrative costs that are soft costs that are not associated with the geo bond, that would be a violation of the voter initiative. That's part of what Cummings is reviewing. They haven't found that to date. 
but that's part of what they're testing. I, I, I'll, I will defer what, on that. Uh, what they did do, though, besides uh, complying with the bond authorization, they did look at uh, project management costs, uh, design costs, and construction management costs as a percentage of construction and concluded that, that they were high. And the departments came back and they provided other data saying that they weren't high. So that part was included in, in addition to the compliance with the voter authorizations. Ben, thank you for that explanation. And I think that it doesn't hurt for you to remind all of us, including myself, that the audit that we're talking about that's, that's represented in this chart, they are very narrowly scoped and they are specifically conducted to help this committee um, perform our our due diligence in addressing the fact that they're expended in accordance with the ballot measure and no funds are used for administrative salaries of operating expenses. It's actually that narrow. Um, but this is not to say that they, there are no other audits of an operational nature that um, the controller's office conducts in regard to overseeing different projects, DPW, et cetera. So this particular set of audits are done specifically for GOBOC. And, and specifically for this very narrow point. It is an extremely narrow audit. Im important Based on this one sentence, or the, 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 the language that's referenced in the bonds. That's correct. I, uh, just, uh, I think the conversation that Ben and I have had in the past is that when you're talking about uh, whether the bond revenues are expended in accordance with the ballot measure, if you read the ballot measure, it's pretty open-ended. Yep. It's not very specific at all. So, for example, when we did a recent parks bond, it allowed for $30 million to be given to the port. Didn't say where, didn't say what, didn't say when, just here's $30 million out of the parks bond going over to the port. Undoubtedly, it was worthwhile. I mean, I'm sure it's gonna be fabulous. But how do you monitor that? How do you do an audit for such an open-ended type of thing? I know that when I talked before with uh, former controller Ed Harrington, that was one of the things that he felt needed to be narrowed down much more closely. I think you're in agreement with that. Yeah, um, and I'm not saying that that review shouldn't happen and that it's not part of the committee's purview and ours to do it, only that this, what we're talking about at least with this one is getting to a different question. The review of scope schedule budget, are the voters being delivered what they happen? I would suggest this isn't the tool to get there, rather that's part of what the committee is doing as part of your hearings, as part of your review of those bonds with liaisons. That's part of what our annual geobond report, which we'll be reporting back at the next hearing. It really is, it's organized that way by geobond. How are they doing against budget? How are they doing against scope? How are they doing against schedule? And so Ben, can I ask you a question? As I read this, I mean, what you're, what you're asking here is how many bond expenditure audits should be conducted annually? And as currently proposed in the staff report, it's three in fiscal 16, 17, additional three, 17, 18, additional three in 18, 19, three additional uh, with two yet to be determined in fiscal 19, 20. And so your recommendation is three a year, 
and I'm sure there's a basis that that uh, that 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 came from, as in the amount of work related to each one, additional work for staff. There was some analysis that was conducted for your recommendation at three as opposed to four or two. Could you tell us how you landed at three? Sure, we, we um, arrived at three as a recommendation because it, and this is largely a pacing question, it felt like uh, with three a year, you're touching each bond within three years. And so within a three year span, you're able to, to cycle through all bonds and then re repeat. It's as simple as that, the basis of our recommendation. There's nothing magic about it. Uh, per Ms. Chu's recommendation, if we want to move the affordable housing bond up and conduct a fourth in the year ahead, that would be totally appropriate. And that's actually a different different set of staff, and it, it would not create either money challenges or administrative burden. So if, if that's kind of the desire of the committee, we could, we could easily accommodate that. That's the feedback we're looking for. And with that, Madam Chair, I would, if a, if a motion is appropriate, you need an action item? Is this an action item on sure. calendar? Sure. Or a it direction? Is. I would... It's, it's noticed as action. It's an action item? Yeah. So just to further discussion, I would uh, move that we adopt uh, the frequency of bond expenditures as shown on page bond expenditure audits as shown on page four with the caveat of moving up the affordable housing uh, bond reflected as item eight on the schedule into fiscal 1718. I agree. Is there a second? Go ahead. You did. Yes. I second it. Okay. Public comment. Public. Any public comment? Seeing none. Oh, um, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Please. It's okay. Okay. Well, let me get my my timer on my cell phone, and that way we'll keep me honest. I must say, it's nice for us all to be at the same height. Okay, I'm going to push start. Coming. Cumming found that DPW is charging budgeted, not actual bond costs for architecture and engineering. Budgeted costs are not allowable. Actual costs are. Are you going to ignore this problem and move on to other audits and not address it? Why not audit some of the police and fire station or port projects like the new cruise ship terminal? The CSA construction audits have not touched these projects. Why not finish the ESER bond audit and audit the expenditures for the emergency water system? I've always found that when a department is not in favor of an audit, there is most likely an audit finding lurking. The three bond expenditure audits that were completed did not include a review of project change orders. This would be very beneficial, and you should increase the scope of the audit to include a review of project change orders. Thank you. A minute and seven seconds. Thank you. Any other public comment? Seeing none, we'll open it up to the committee for discussion or comments. 
I, I support the motion as seconded. Seeing no discussion, should we take a vote? There's nothing in, the, in that motion that precludes addressing things like the change orders at all, right? Correct. So, yeah, it's the frequency. It's the frequency that we're discussing that we're approving. I just want to be clear that I understand and everybody else understands that's what we're doing. Thank you. Would I you support like? It. Would you like a roll call vote? I do. No. Okay. So, all in favor? Aye. Say aye. Aye. I think it passed unanimously. Okay. Uh, thank you. And uh, the last of the three items that we had open from our last uh, session is maybe the most open-ended of them. Um, you have a broader requirement and allowance that sits in your administrative code that permits you to conduct other studies, reviews, des as desired to kind of further the purposes of the committee. Um, we thought it would be helpful to provide you some context regarding our own city services auditor work plan as it relates to capital and geo bonds um, for this discussion. We're actually finalizing our work plan for the city services auditor for the year ahead as we speak. We, we intend to bring it back to you for your feedback uh, at your next meeting, and that'll be much broader than just capital and geo bonds. But this is the subset of things that really relates to the, this, the work related to general obligation bonds. Um, our current plan calls for, uh, we intend to conduct a review of outreach efforts for a sample of the MTA's construction projects um, to assess adequacy, value, impacts on project progress and timing. Um, this is something that you talked about at your prior meeting. We've had similar conversations with the MTAs and others. This is uh, perceived to be a contributor to some of the delays um, on the program to date. Um, so we have included that in our own work plan. Um, additionally, we've been conducting one divisional performance audit per year of different parts of the MTA. Our schedule for the year ahead calls for an audit of the capital division, the capital delivery division of the MTA. And I think that will get into some of the same conversations we've had about the pace of the most recent bonds implementation. Um, additionally, we have planned uh, an audit of the 2014 pre-construction phase um, to test on a whole host of different things on our mind, including planning pre-construction activities, uh, uh, compliance with policies and procedures, monitoring costs, timely reporting, and procurement. Um, and then lastly, Public Works has asked for some assistance from our team uh, to help review and develop more standardized methodologies for um, assisting staff with the establishment of contingency budgets and assessing risk on programs. So these are different programs that we're intending to kind of bite into in the year ahead related to related, that are related to committee activities. Additionally, of course, you have the authority to engage in other work, and we'd encourage you to do so. Um, we had a fairly um, wide-ranging conversation at the last meeting regarding this, so excuse us if we haven't kind of teased out what we think we heard, and you'll let us know if we haven't. But um, it seemed like the, the, the two ideas that we heard most cleanly from the committee um, or that seemed to have the, hold the most interest were um, a process to conduct a post-bond assessment of public satisfaction of a given bond seemed to have legs with the majority of committee members. Um, it's something that we have talked about in the past as well. Um, 
this could be, you could touch a lot of different elements here using surveying, intercept surveying, et cetera, regarding whether vote, how voters felt about what was delivered to them ultimately. Um, and you could do this for different kinds of projects. You could do this for ones that are purely public facing, like a rec center or a streetscape, or you could do ones that are predominantly staff internal functions, like assessing how the police department and other user, users of the new public safety building, for example, are finding, is it meeting their operational needs? So this could, this is one we think we heard from the committee. Um, and then secondly, which I mentioned earlier, a review of practices from other bond oversight committees around this, this city. Um, and a report back for you to kind of consider in your work planning for the probably the following year. How, do you, how does what you're doing comparing to others, are there things you see there that you'd want to incorporate into your work going forward? I will pause there, but those are the big takeaways we thought we heard last time. There may have been others that we missed. Um, I think the next step on this item, once we get to the right set of project ideas, is then um, if the committee can kind of uh, assign or a committee member can indicate that they're interested, we can then work with that committee member to refine these ideas and bring them back as more tangible ones at a future meeting when they're ready. Thank you, Ben. Um, any comments? Yeah, um, so a couple things. Um, the benchmarking study is, would it make sense to, to expand that to other cities and how they manage um, bond oversight? Um, the, reason, the reason I'm asking is because it, it feels like if we did that benchmarking thoroughly enough, it would, be, um, it would feed into uh, discussions around what our website should look like um, and um, what um, the, the template should be that comes here often. I mean, like it, it feels like there's a bunch of communication things that are sort of downstream from there, so, so let's, let's do them in a, in a specific order that, where they can all benefit from each other instead of considering them separate. You're, you're saying look and see if, and first see if other cities do have citizens oversight committees because yeah, we bond don't oversight committees and bond oversight how they we're measure not, it and, yeah that'd be great i mean they might not right but they might not we yeah. might be unique <laughs> but it'd be worth looking <laughs> we're unique in lots of ways but not this one okay. um there are there are bond oversight committees elsewhere in the state school districts are required to have them under state uh -huh. law for general obligation bonds as our community college districts i mean i think broadening the review could could be interesting and I understand what you're saying about sequencing, which also makes sense to me. Right. So then it would it would give us information to drive some of the other decisions that are that are that are coming down. Um, and I think even the survey to the to the you know if we can get an idea of what some of the best practices there about judging the success of a bond from a citizen's perspective, I think it might be an interesting endeavor. I support those comments. I was going to make a comment um, to say that um, it would be helpful if only to see what other oversight committees relating to um, other bonds are doing, first of all, for best practices, and to see if we're overlapping. For example, the MTA, they have their own um, oversight um, body. So I think it's more to share, you know, whether there is any overlap um, more than anything else. But I think it's a good idea to compare ourselves from other geobond oversight um, bodies just to see how, um, you know, how we stack up against um, some other alternatives. Yes. Uh, in terms of the uh, post-bond assessment, obviously I strongly support that. I think uh, two things about that. One is that a good uh, after-action report saying what the 
how the public felt about the work that was done might provide some guidance to city officials as they draft further bonds for the future. So they have some idea of this is what they thought they were going to get, this is how they feel about what they did get, what does that teach us about how we, how we uh, write up the next bond. And then along with that, uh, rather than making it a single bond assessment, when it's appropriate, you can include a cross-bond assessment. So that in some cases, the issue has been raised about undergrounding wires at the same time that you're tearing up streets. You know, in what ways can we look at uh, crossed uh, activities that affect certain areas? And to make that most useful to the public, I would recommend that uh, as these surveys are developed, that you do it based on neighborhoods or supervisors' districts because that's how people live. You know, you hear something from the outer sunset that they didn't like about what happened there or the Castro, they didn't like what they happened or someplace else, they love it a lot. So uh, I would say that those elements, making it more local and broadening it to include some uh, cross-programmatic impact uh, and uh, having a lessons learned section at the end of the survey that you've done. I, I would think the uh, post-bond assessments would be, could be very, very useful, uh, but I could imagine they can get complicated too. And I was just curious, would your staff, Ben, be able to do that kind of work or is that something that might have to be contracted out? I think we would certainly work to scope out what's desired here. And I agree, this can become a very complex project very quickly, depending on how we want to define its boundaries. Um, uh, we would have the capability of doing some work in-house if we wanted, but we also have in uh, pre-qualified contractor pools, those that are specialized in surveying, um, uh, including intercept surveying and other kinds of work. So there are those that probably do this better than us out in the world, and we have many of them on, in pre-qualified pools of contractors to help us. But first step would be to define scope. Scope it out and then get estimates if we go forward. I mean, I think it's fair to say that this is an experiment for this yeah. coming year, and what we learn from it would in, be a part of next. Uh, I think this is very good discussion. Could I um, redirect our our sequence of discussion to CSA's work plan first before we talk about the proposed projects because I think that um, CSA's work plan on page five um, in some ways is more important because it's your current work plan and we do oversee um, CSA. So can we pick up the proposed projects after we go through page five? Certainly, and I, the, you know, we'll have the work plan back in detail for you at your next meeting to provide feedback, but we wanted to make sure you had this context at least, that while you were talking about these other projects, that you also understood that we, we have a body of work going on as well. But certainly we'd be happy to answer any questions you've got regarding any of these items. Um, I, I'd like just to start off because I'm, you know, um, Brian is not here. Um, he and I sit on, um, as liaison for um, the MTA, and I think that the first two points that um, that you suggest um, is an excellent one. I think this is not just. Uh, I think it's need. I think it's needed. Um, we've asked very many times about the public outreach and how that balances actually into the workflow. 
Um, and I think also in light of the public interest and the interest expressed by the Board of Supervisors in the pace of their spending, I think this would be a proactive way to, um, to conduct um, this review, um, if only to make specific suggestions to them as to what's been, you know, what's been keeping it back, other than, other than, or in addition to unexpected circumstances. So I applaud you for doing the first two. Um, any other comment? Um, I don't have a comment on those first two. I think what you're saying is perfectly correct. Um, I do want to add an item that's not on here. Is this the right time to bring that up? Yeah, sure. As good as any time. When I went back and looked at the, the proposition that established what the voters passed uh, in establishing uh, GOBOC and the city services audit function, uh, the language of it says, uh, the controller shall assess the progress of city department's compliance with the charter, blah, blah, blah. Um, the controller shall make recommendations to departments to improve the effectiveness of such plans. The controller shall report to the Board of Supervisors and the Mayor about the failure of any department to comply substantially with the controller's <coughs> recommendations regarding customer service plans. A, a reasonable view would consider required citizen engagement as a critical element in customer service. So. It seems to me that it would be appropriate to add to the list a customer service uh, evaluation. And I was looking through the charter, there are a variety of, of uh, provisions that the voters have put into place, um, such as uh, quarterly reports on attendance at commissions, or else you can be removed from the commission. Uh, annual reports by commissions and the civil grand jury found that 50% of city departments are not submitting annual reports and so therefore the whole transparency issue is lost. Uh, diversity of population and appointments. It's a whole series of these, some, some of which were brought up again at yesterday's board meeting by Supervisor Farrell. Uh, these are issues uh, that have to do with civic engagement and customer service and that's part of the of the responsibility uh, of GOBOC in overseeing uh, the customer service aspects of our work. So I would recommend and it's particularly in view of the fact that uh, the language says that it has to indicate a failure of any department to comply substantially with the controller's recommendations. Um, at the moment, we don't really have a system uh, that does that. I, I, when we, if this is adopted and people move forward, I would suggest that they use the language that the court requires of all civil grand juries, which is that with each finding and recommendation, it has to say if it will be accepted, will not be accepted, needs further study, and then a requirement that it come back within 90 days to say what the status is of that. As things stand now, I see recommendations that go out to the departments following an audit, and then they just lay there. There's no feedback that comes back from the departments, and there's no feedback that comes from us as go back about what happened to those recommendations, and is anything being done. So I'm suggesting a category be added to this list of customer service. 
I'm pretty sure the controller's office does get feedback from the departments of whether or not they've implemented or not implemented their audit recommendations. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty certain they do. Yes, I think that then maybe you can clarify that because some of the uh, additional reports that we get in our package that's not in part of the agenda being discussed at a certain meeting contains um, reports or summary reports of, of, of memos after audits reporting on what was reported and I think that you require, I forget, 60, 90 day period right. from the department to respond to adopt, not adopt or you know, there are a couple of categories. So could you educate us on that procedure? Sure. And um, for our audits, um, we document the audit recommendations. And then we have a systematic process of reassessing it six months, one year, and two years, whether audit recommendations are implemented. And we produce a quarterly report, which we send to the Board of Supervisors Audit Committee regarding the status of those recommendations. That's a summarization of those. Um, of course, we're not the only compliance organization in the city that's doing reviews. And so other bodies have got different kinds of ways to follow up on their recommendations. The civil grand jury, um, we as an administrative convenience, the civil grand jury help produce an annual follow-up report for the civil grand jury where departments report on whether they are following up on civil grand jury recommendations or not. That then report then goes to the mayor and the board. How the mayor and the board choose to follow up on it is a choice that the mayor and the board make. Sometimes they're more active with it, other times they're not. Um, and then the board's budget analyst who performs audits directly for the board um, provides the board's periodic kind of ad hoc updates on their audits, but less of kind of a regular codified practice like we have or the civil grand jury has. I don't know if that helps at all for the conversation here. It helps uh, somewhat, but I can remember conversations with you, Ben, about uh, findings on uh, uh, rideshare services at the airport in which there was a finding, uh, a report by the audit that said that, in fact, one of the rideshare companies had not uh, taken the required steps of uh, having insurance and a variety of other things. And that was just turned over to the airport and that was the end of it, as far as I understood from our conversation. We will have, on that audit though, we will have these checkpoints. Um, it doesn't mean that a department is always going to agree with us or move on it, but we are tracking it. And if you are interested in kind of knowing what's being implemented and what's outstanding, and then for those that are outstanding, talking about how to move those ahead, it, probably the best place to start is we're just giving you the update on kind of what's outstanding. Um, I, think, I think it would be good to have an update on what's outstanding what's not. In the federal system, where I worked for a number of years, they do a system of red, green, and, and yellow uh, indicator of uh, the status of a department. So that green means that everything is working just fine, red means this place is a disaster, and yellow says here are some things that need to be improved. And then they have, and that's an annual review that's done on every program in every federal department. I don't, I haven't seen anything from uh, the reviews that we do with CSA that's equivalent in terms of a, a quick look at what's going on. We just saw major stories about the Department of Emergency Management, which is apparently in crisis mode. Uh, and while there are a variety of reports that have been done, the, the, the most recent in-depth report that I saw 
was from 2014 that said that they were overstaffed and made recommendations about bringing the staffing down when in fact what the, the hearings was is that they're understaffed by a lot. So maybe it's time to do touching back on some of these issues. That's a long period of time uh, to go without reviewing things. Ben, uh, let me just try so to confirm my understanding uh, is that from what I understand, um, we currently have in place, the controls office currently has in place, when you do a review or an audit or many other city departments, there is existing currently a procedure of follow-up recommendations follow up and this is done periodically. Um, you obviously are in a position, the controller's office, of reviewing and reporting shortfalls and non-compliance. But we cannot expect you to push the departments for changes of performance other than to keep going back to them. Oh, so, no, so I, 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 I think that you have an existing uh, process I right now. I disagree a little bit with that, only in that we try, I mean, we're not writing reports and writing audits for purposes of writing reports and audits. We really do want to see the change occur that we're recommending. One of the reasons we do that is by tracking people. And we do do a lot of things to try to push departments to implement changes that we've recommended. And one of the ways we do it, frankly, is by helping them implement implement those changes and that's part of what the city performance group does is helping where we've made an audit recommendation to X, Y, and Z. We then provide resources often to help X, Y, and Z happen. Um, so we're, we're invested in what we're recommending moving ahead and kind of try to push that in a lot of ways including kind of these regular reports that go to the audit committee so of the board of supervisors. The, the words I kind of misused words is, is really what, what, um, what tools or what access do you have if a department repeatedly sits on your recommendations, or what recourse do you have to push them to actually adopt a certain change? I guess we have a lot of different tools available that we're not ultimately accountable for the change, you're correct. Um, but we have a lot of different tools we can use to try to push departments to change some of them or reporting some of them or persuasion some of them are providing resource and sometimes it's pulling them in front of a public oversight body and asking elected officials to intervene on our behalf um, so we've got a lot of different ways we can try to push people um, we have the city services auditor work plan coming up at the next meeting, and we could certainly incorporate some of this conversation regarding what are our outstanding recommendations and our reporting uh, schedules look like going forward for further conversation, because this is very much part of what we'd welcome feedback on. Are we touching the right things in our work plan? Are there places where we want to go back that we haven't been for a bit of time and spend time on audits or reviews or other work? Um, how do we follow up on prior work to get done? How are we making sure we're focused on the right things? And that's really the kind of feedback we're looking for at the, the next meeting when we put our work plan in front of you. I'm, I just want clarification on how transparent that is to the public. Is it? The work planning process itself? No, uh, the, your audit findings and what a department does with it. You, you know what the answer is, and you can tell us, but can the public see it? Do you have it on the website someplace? Is there some place that people can go and say, 
what was the last report on X, Y, and Z department and what were the recommendations and what's happened? Some of it is available, but this is a place where committee feedback would be very helpful. Um, we're producing a lot of work. It's an area of sensitivity for us is how do we create public visibility into what we're doing and how do we summarize detailed projects so that they're digestible? How do we get to traffic lights and digestible? Among all of this detail, how do you get to Right. the details that might be meaningful to the public from a transparency perspective. We have been doing a lot of work around that and have a lot of thoughts, but would we know we don't have all the answers and would really welcome them from committee members. Ben, um, at the current moment, do departments own website, um, are they, um, are they obligated to post um, on their public web website Audit, audit reviews, etc. No, they're not. No. We do, um, but they are not. Yeah, I was going to say the d departments are are not. But the, I've gone into the controllers and can find audit controllers audits, and in the initial audit anyway, that's posted. They usually have the department's response to their findings. So Correct. the initial department response, agree, not agree, do, is, is there. It's that subs any kind of subsequent follow-up, I'm not sure, is there? Well, we do as a practice, we do publish each of our follow-up reviews on our audits. Those do get published and loaded into the same report tools. I believe the quarterly summary report, which we send to GAO, is also available on our website. But whether people can find these easily and they're, like, su they're summarizing up to the right level to be publicly digestible is a good question and one we'd be happy to talk more about. Thank you. Of course. Any other discussion on CSA's work plan? If not, let's just pick up the proposed projects. We started talking about that. Um, ben, I, I do have a question. Um, I guess Ken's left on conducting post-bond assessment to determine public satisfaction. That is always very um, desirable, uh, but thinking on how aggressive this particular committee, um, only meeting six times a year, trying to um, make sure that we live up to our obligations. Um, I was just asking myself, um, this public satisfaction requirement, um, is this language in, um, in Proposition F that created us? This, this is not a specific requirement. The, the voters did not tell GOBAC that you need to conduct assessments of public satisfaction with projects, but the voter authorization does create kind of broad, gives you broad authority to conduct reviews as you determine necessary to determine whether the voters were kind of paraphrasing given what they were promised. So I think this is clearly within the envelope of what the voters have authorized you for, but it's not a requirement of you. And I think that with surveys, et cetera, it's different type of surveys that you, you mentioned earlier, part of it could be in-house, but perhaps this is one area where GOBOC should um, use uh, funds available to us to contract specialized um, firms and consultants to conduct different types of satisfaction reports. I think this is likely where this one goes. If this is of interest, what I'd suggest for a next step would be 
you know, give it, letting us know that this is a priority area for the committee by your action today, and then we can work with whichever committee members are interested, provided that we don't form a quorum <laughs> of a policy body, um, to take feedback and work on scope. We can then bring the scope back to the full committee for some review and discussion, and then we can help you execute on it, um, kind of whatever that looks like, which probably involves kind of getting a contractor on board and helping managing them through the project. I like that approach. I know that. Any comments? Have we exhausted discussion on the proposed projects? Well, uh, so we agree with your proposal. Thank you for your proposal. Um, uh, do you think we can have a um, have something to report out on by the next meeting, which is just a month away at this point? Back to the full committee by next month. Um, the only reason I'm thinking is I've the two busiest months of the year for budget about to happen, and then the two months, two weeks after, we cut over to a new financial system in early July. So it may we will try to get something for the next meeting, but it may well travel towards the next one. Right. Um, but can certainly come back as quickly as we can. Okay. So, th so then we need to indicate who's interested in helping. Right. That's just. Or even a single member that's interested, and then that member can send out invites to others, provided we don't get to a quorum. I'd be happy to, to take this on. Okay. Good. Thank God. We will not use the word uh, liaison. We'll use the word uh, uh, member express specific interest. Yeah. We'll take the lead on coordinating with the controls department. Okay. So... What is the next item? Um, you've provided an appendix um, of controls office bond audits and reports. Do you feel you need to walk us through that? Or I this don't. Is just we, a... we gave this to you at the last meeting, too. But this is just kind of broader context, again, around your decisions, just some of the other work that's been performed in recent years around geo bonds. We can certainly talk about that more next time when we're presenting our, <laughs> our work plan. Um, but it was just contextual. Yes, and it's, uh, this also corroborates with the early discussion of the PACE, that it's about um, 18 reports, an audit, and averages about three plus per year. <clears throat> Item four. I, the only thing I think should, we should open up for general public comment on the item before moving on to the next item. Oh. <laughs> I see oh. you've got it all queued up. I, I still have a, I had a comment on the work plan. Oh, um, I'm sorry. I can we delay public comment uh, to allow Mr. Carlson to make a comment? Yeah, I think this was in the packet, which is a outline of the work plan. And I guess the one, the one question I, well, I, I, I think I figured out that the 2000 Rec Park is only on there once and the 2008 Public Health General Hospital is only on there once because, and the only question I, well, the question I had about those are, are, are those expected to be their final reports or from that report? Because I think we have a specific set of uh, information we want to close out a project. So that was my only question. Should these be finals or should we wait and see what happens at these? 
I would hope they would be finals and that they would include the closeout report, but I think we would need to get closer to the dates to confirm that. And, and confirm that. And then last, I didn't see the 2016 public housing bond, and I would be hoping that by May of 2017, we, at least we would hear something. Or that did pass, right? It did pass. There have been no issuances to date. Um, we could certainly add an update on this bond, regardless of whether it's been sold or not, um, to the calendar for year ahead. For maybe in, in May, at least. Uh, there's there, The housing, affordable housing, is both May and, uh, where's the other one, uh, November. Or you could even maybe in November have some information. But I, I just think we need to start why don't we add a add the update for that bond to the November while the other affordable housing, even if they have not sold, they can come in and kind of present what their plans look like to sell. Does anybody even know what they're thinking at the moment? The 16 was an interesting reauthorization of a seismic safety loan bond that was approved many, many years ago by the voters. Um, it's effectively kind of a credit facility. It allows people meeting certain requirements to use a geobond credit to secure a private loan. It's a different kind of use of a geobond and it's going to be kind of demand driven depending on how many people come forward to, to, to draw on it. So the problem with the old seismic safety loan program which had a similar construct is that it was never competitive with private financing and so no one ever drew from it. And so I think that's the question here. Will there be demand for the program? And I have not heard of any yet. It's unlike the, 20, the 2015. Very different. Bond. Different than any of the other geobonds on the list. It's I, intended to be repaid yeah. by uh, but the point we can we can have add a presentation on it for you to hear from the bond and where they are and what they're thinking and some logistics on the bond as a yep. committee. Okay. Yep. Okay, um, first I would suggest you post a list of all address your issue of bringing visibility to audit findings not implemented. You, of course, would need to develop a criteria for which audit findings are posted. <laughs> Secondly, with regard to post-bond study, I recommend you work with outside groups to ensure the study scope is valid for the report audience before their work commences. Also, I would recommend you hire an outside firm to benchmark the San Francisco whistleblower program against nationwide best practice cities and states. I suggest that you work with citizens and past whistleblowers to get their input on the scope of the report. Lastly, there are many CSA functions that are not being done. One of the more important functions is the controller has the duty to perform, and I use the word exactly, regular oversight over the city's contracting procedures, including model criteria and terms for city request for proposal, auditing compliance with contract rules, and where appropriate investigating cases of alleged abuse or conflict of interest. When is the last time the CSA did a contract compliance audit or investigated cases of potential abuse? 
I have no, I have not seen any in the last three to five years. I recommend you use some of your discretionary funds to retain a firm to perform an outside audit of the CSA and its adherence to requirements of Appendix F. The audit will tell you where C. Goldbach needs to invest its CSA oversight time. Lastly, C. Goldbach is also the Citizens Audit Review Board and there is no formal program like the bond presentations. What is the role of the Citizens Audit Review Board? An outside firm can also help you structure that program. Thank you. Thank you. Item four, opportunity for committee members to comment or act on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. Item A, approval of fiscal year 2017-2018 committee hearing work plan. And this is the schedule so that's in the packet. This is the... This is the item we just discussed. Yes. Um, and so I think we understood that we would uh, amend to include uh, the other public housing or uh, other affordable housing bond at the November hearing. Um, otherwise, this calendar is in line with the discussion we had earlier about the frequency of presentations. Um, there are two presentations here annually also from both the city services auditor and the whistleblower program. Um, and of course, this is a template for hearings. The typical practice of the committee is that the chair and vice chair do have some discretion in setting agendas to move items around as the year moves ahead, just given what's changing, schedule demands, the rest. Any discussion is, or comment? Is this the same thing as the list of uh, what's on the agenda for each of the coming meetings? Correct. This is a general outline of what the meetings, hearings would look like over the course of the year. So, like July 17th, September 18th, those meetings that are on the attached Correct. things. Then I'd like to add to the July 17th meeting uh, a discussion of the civil grand jury report that just came out. The, the court requires that the governing body uh, vote on uh, the submission that comes from the department. There's I'm not, I'm not familiar with I think what Mr. Bush is referring to is so the civil grand jury issued a report about two weeks ago on governmental performance management um, that has recommendations for our office, the mayor, and the board of supervisors. Uh, we'd be happy to present uh, regarding our response to, and thoughts regarding the jury when we're presenting our work plan for the coming year. The two are very related. Um, you are not required as a body to respond to the grand jury, um, but you can certainly provide feedback to us or forward an unrequired response back to either the grand jury or the board of supervisors. Maybe the city attorney's office can give us some clarification on whether we're required because as a member of the civil grand jury, when we issued our report, for example, on the port, the port director submitted the report and we turned back to the judge who said, no, it has to be the port commission because the port commission is the governing body, not the port director. And under the charter, Gobach has the responsibility to oversee these functions and the civil grand jury report, I just handed a copy of the recommendations 
that are related to us are all functions that fall under the oversight of GOBOT as well. I, I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that we will just endorse what you but I just think that for the sake of what California law requires that we need to have a presentation and vote on. Ken, can you add to that? Uh, no, I cannot. I cannot give you advice on the spot. I can look into this and try to report back. Ken? Either way, the idea of having a presentation of the civil grand jury's work and our thinking about it is very germane to the discussion of our work plan for the coming year. Um, and the city attorney can provide you advice on kind of what your role vis-a-vis -vis our response is. Either way, we'd welcome your feedback. So we agreed to have this additional item at our next meeting. Thank you. Yes, of course. Yes. Any other comment? I had a question. In just in going over the paperwork from today, there was uh, references to the SFMTA's capital improvement expenditures and other bond measures and I'm just thinking back I think it was the 07 ballot measure that provided the director of the MTA the ability to uh, incur bond indebtedness without voter approval and that director Ed Reskin had uh, a number of years had gone by and he's been very selective in the application of that authority and so are there a lot of MTA bonds my understanding is there wasn't he, he didn't incur a lot of bond indebtedness if memory serves uh, since prop 8 passed there's hundred and fifty million dollars of revenue bonds that have been authorized by the MTA it's pretty limited in the time we're talking about yeah. um, and they do have a revenue bond oversight committee that's very comparable to you yeah. that kind of meets to review expenditures of those bonds. But that's all that's outstanding as far as bond indebtedness goes. You, you, you have billions to look over. They have 150 million. That's what I thought. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I say this because I want to make sure I got it clear. I think we did vote to have single liaisons. And so my question was, how do we get to those assignments? Do, 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 does the, do we let Brian and or you know our interests and then you guys will decide? I just was kind of curious how we're going to uh, do the new liaison assignments. Because there is a July meeting. I think it's only the public health that's coming up. But uh, uh, Let me address that. I, I think that was the thing that was in the top of my mind. So I think that... Uh, uh, the chair, uh, Brian Larkin and myself, will need to um, meet with the controller's office, first of all, to assess what we have and how we go from what we have to a single liaison. Um, I think that in the meantime, for um, members of this committee, um, you're currently assigned to two, or some of you are, because we have some that are just one, or we're both two, I'm sorry. So if you have uh, a specific interest, personal interest, um, to keep the, 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 the one that you will have, um, please, how should we direct that interest to Mora, or? That would be appropriate. If committee members wanted to 
to email Mora with their their interest. Their interest. We we went we've gone through a very comparable process just in the last couple of months to arrive at the two liaison approach. So I think it's probably fairly well understood. But if people want to send their their thoughts to Mora, we can then meet with the chair and vice chair, and you can bring back a proposed liaison assignments to the next meeting for discussion. That sounds good. Um, in the meantime, I can take on uh, the public health bonds um, between now and the July. For the July. Yeah. Yes. And so I will send out an email to everyone when we're meeting in case anyone's might be interested. Okay. Madam Chair, with the deepest respect, item A is pending a motion to approve or continue the work plan. That, that's the item that was that you were discussing. So that needs to happen. And then you can go into other matters, item B. Oh, uh, well, th thanks. I, I thought we already said yes to that. I, uh, I so thought so, but maybe we didn't do a motion. So I would make yes. a motion to okay. approve the 1718 work plan as amended. Second. Public comment. All in favor? Pub say sorry. Public, you need to pub take public comment prior to the motion. Oh. Is there any public comment on... Um, Go box fiscal year 2017 to 18 committee work plan. Seeing none, let's resume our vote. Everyone in favor, say aye. 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 Okay, it was passed unanimously. Thank you. Now you can move to item B, other matters. The remaining item is other matters. Any member wish to bring up? Any other matter? Seeing none, meetings adjourn. When do we go on TV? I think you should. Thanks, brother. What's wrong with These cameras weren't rolling. I don't know. Didn't dress for it.